Here we go. Neutron, proton, mass defect, lyrical oxidation, you're irrelevant, mass spectrograph, your electron volt, atomic energy erupting as I get all open on betatrons, gamma rays, thermal cracking, cyclotron, any and every mic you're on, transuranium, if you're always uranium, molecule spontaneous combustion, Bam. law of definite proportion, gain ink weight, I'm every element around. So welcome to Spark Science. We're here at PuliCon 2017, and my friends Bonnie um, and Leela help put this together, and it's at the Puyallup Library. I just did a panel, and right after me were, were these two wonderful women that do Magical Girls, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Okay. I'm Mary, and I am one half of a podcast called Fake Geek Girls, which is a feminist podcast about geek culture. My name is Nidana Russell, but I go by Misu. I am a master's candidate at the University of Victoria in Victoria, BC. My master's thesis is actually about the magical girl narrative, and I was very much inspired by my own encounters with magical girl series. I saw Sailor Moon when it first came out when I was 15, and I liked how it portrayed somebody who was like me, a teenager at the time, um, as having the power to change the world, but still having to do with homework and friends and family and things like that, so. Yeah, so so you're writing Magical Girls, and what what's the, like, how do you, how does that all start? So you're you're both kind of the, the duo that's doing this. How did it all start, and like, how did you put it out there into the world? What's that story? We started talking about Magical Girls because at Geek Girl Con, yeah. we were in a panel together. I love yeah, Geek Girl Con. It was yeah. really good. It was last year we we did this panel together. It was the same panel with a couple other girls. So it's really just getting the, the word out there of this genre and, and how to, like this kind of story. Is that mm-hmm. what you're kind of doing? That's for sure what she's doing. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I just like to talk about it because okay. I grew up with it. And so I think a lot of people... Nostalgia is so huge right now, so mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I watched Sailor Moon, or I watched Cad- Card Captor, and now all these magical girl animes are coming coming out, mm-hmm. and so... So it's like a sub, sub-genre sub of, of geekdom that like it's, people yeah. are like kind of focusing on and finding like a community in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. Okay. Very much so. And that community has been building since... When was the first magical girl anime? Sa- uh, Sally the Witch or Mahotsukai Sally, which it first aired in 1968. Yeah, wow. so it's been building for a long time, especially in like the 90s where um, it came onto Cartoon Network and that Sailor Moon. Yeah, Sailor Moon did, and and I think that really helped a lot of people. It's just relatable. The thing about a magical girl series, and I deal with this so much. Yes, please educate me. Because so, <laughs> like so many people are like. Well, this series that features a girl who is magical is a magical girl series. I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. One of the main things is that usually the girl is very young. Mm. The youngest yeah. I've seen is nine. The oldest I've seen is 16. Usually she has a magical companion. like Usually an animal. And usually an animal. Very cute animal. Precure like is Luna. so full okay. of them. So yeah, spirited but, away, no then. No. Because her animal is like There's that dragon aspects, and it's like it, bloody. Yeah. <laughs> aspects, really but sad. no. Well, maybe maybe some, maybe soon because there's been some pretty dark yeah. magical girls come out. But the main thing is that there's a transformation where she becomes a magical girl and usually there's a musical cue. So when she <laughs> has like a little sort of, 
she either has a henshin wand or a henshin brooch or something that allows her to switch from one form to another and then there's a sequence where she's transforming and there's a musical sort of cue that goes with that mm -hmm. and that's how it happens like it's you can be a girl that has magic but you know you're a magical girl when you're transforming and you have that cue that lets you know oh it's about to go down right about now so, so powerpuff girls no Powerpuff Girls sort of because yeah. they have a musical cue, but yes. they're always like magic. This like, is like the, the, the Western sort of idea. Like yeah. the, the West has its own sorts of ways of doing magical girls, and I think Powerpuff Girls are interesting, especially since Japan did their own magical Powerpuff Girls. They did. Uh, and they literally had a sequence where like Dragon the Ball girl, Z, but yeah, girls. and they literally had a sequence where the girls would transform into mm. their Powerpuff. So I would say yeah, I would say that. <laughs> so you're like yeah, okay, yeah. All right. Well, well, my next question is very sciencey because <laughs> it's, it's the, this the show. I mean, I've watched some anime too, and there's a lot of not only this kind of magic thing, but there's always there's also this like Gaia, like Earth, you know, environmental science kind mm -hmm. of aspect. But there's also a robotic aspect to a lot of the anime. So, is there any crossover between this magical girl genre that you both kind of talk about and promote, and like a crossover between? cyborgs or, or some kind of electronic, you know, like humanoid or... Um, Magic Knight Ray Earth, the girls actually have to find, they get transported to this magical world and they have to find their power, which is in the form of actual like robots, like mecha robots. Right. I forgot what the name of it is, but also things like Ma Sailor Moon have like aspects of technology as well, like Ami's oh, computer yeah. where... Like, thing comes down and she's like, calculations. The bad guys over there. Mm -hmm. There's probably not much, but there is some, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me about your podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, so the podcast is called Fake Geek Girls, and it... Um, Why fake geek girls? So, essentially, it's, uh, it's a very interesting story that we call ourselves fake geek girls because it's like a play on words because girls apparently only like nerdy things to get guys' attention, yeah. which is just... Interesting. Not I had true. no idea. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's what we call ourselves. And we went to PAX and we're giving out our cards to all these people. And then slowly as we go to these panels, a lot of diversity panels, it's really somber. Like yeah. people are talking about you can't get online anymore. You can't. Um, people have left journalism. They've left wow. all these things. We're like, yeah. what's going on? And then slowly it started to dawn on us. I remember I went home with my husband and I just cried. Yeah. Because I'm like, what have I done? Yeah. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Luckily, we haven't had much pushback. And things have gotten better. And I think doing our podcast really helped us have confidence in our feminism and what we're doing. Right. So putting yourself out there as a feminist right now is, is scary. And it was even scarier back then. So. Right. But what do you talk about on, on this fakey girl yes. podcast? We, each episode, we take a topic. So this last one that we did was actually like on Joss Whedon. And we... Oh, take, I love Joss Whedon. Yeah. So we took... You might want, not want to listen to the podcast then. He, he's, <laughs> he, he does a lot of really good things. He does a lot of really good things. He could do more. That's essentially what we said. He's doing the bare minimum. Yeah. And so we take and we look at like these things like Joss Whedon or we did like Archie Comics and we break them down academically and like try to find papers and statistics and stuff on it. And we look at it through a fan's lens, a feminist lens and an academic lens. Okay. Or we try to at least. I'm going to probably finish this um, interview up because I have to do another interview, but I wanted to say thank you. But before I go, I want to say, is there anything you would like to add that I did not ask about? I would just say, always question the things that you love. So that's part of what we do in my podcast is Absolutely. always question the things you love, and they can always do better. 
I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. me. Thank you. Yay. I don't know much about science. Spark Science, where we explore stories of human curiosity. We're here at PuliCon, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and um, our co-host, Bonnie Spitovsky. Bonnie Spitovsky. That's the one. She's back. She was at our old, um, she was in our other uh, episode, Geek Girl Con, and we talked to um, Girl Genius together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today we are with somebody who is super interesting, super fun. I'm going to let you introduce her. All cause, right. Because you've read all the books. All of them. <laughs> So today we're going to be talking to Marissa Meyer, the best-selling author of the Lunar Chronicle series, Heartless, and the recent graphic novel Wires and Nerve, Volume 1, and soon-to-be Reckless? Renegade. Renegade! Yes. It's okay, Bonnie. Bonnie has actually put together this whole con and uh, with other people. Oh my god, yeah. But you put mm -hmm. together this whole con that is at the PL Library, and it's, it's one-day con once a year. And there was a big panel that just happened, and there was like 90 people at the panel. We had a little over 100 at the end. Yeah. yeah. I just want to kind of bring us into why we're talking to you. It's a, it's stories about cyborgs and and there's fairy tales. And I just want to ask you, first of all, what made you want to write fairy tales in a very, very sci-fi way? I mean, it kind of draws on two inspirations, things that I've loved you know, since childhood, um, one being fairy tales. Um, I was introduced to fairy tales when I was maybe five years old or so um, and was given a little book of fairy tales that included the original story of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Of the course, really at the time. One. Yeah, and I, so I was in love with the Disney movie. And then read this story and was like, well, Disney lied about everything. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was devastated as a child, but that also kind of made me really fascinated and curious to know, okay, well, what else are they keeping from me? Right. Um, so I had this obsession with fairy tales starting at a very young age and kind of has continued ever since. On the flip side of that, I, as a, you know, a kid and a teenager, I loved Star Wars, I loved Star Trek, I loved Firefly. Like next-gen Star Trek? Or like... Uh, <laughs> you're gonna get stopped um, on this one. Yeah. Um, well, I, my family used to watch next-gen is mostly yeah. what I remember um, yeah. as I was like, when I was a kid. Yeah. I was right at that age, you know. I, I wanted Picard to be my dad so bad, and, <laughs> and I actually, I actually told my dad this, and he, all, my dad, my dad is, a, is a huge Star Trek Next <laughs> Generation fan. Like, had, I don't, you're a little younger than me, but I don't know if you remember the subscription of getting like, um, like VHSs in the mail like once no. a week. Yeah, too young. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he got all basically every single Star Trek Next Generation episode in the mail through like VHS. Yeah, and and I told my dad. I kind of want Picard to be my dad. And for like a second, he was sad. And then he was like, well, no, I, I, I get it. Yeah. I want Picard you know, to be my dad, too. I want to be my dad, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. My attachment to Star Trek is really uh, not so much through through me. Like, I remember watching it as a kid and, and watching it as a family, um, which was one of the few shows that we really, like, all enjoyed together. Yeah. Um, but my uncle, I have an Uncle Bob, who is a 
huge Star Trek fan. Um, and he's, I mean, he's the crazy uncle that used to take me to anime conventions when I was a teenager. And He sounds um, awesome. He's awesome. <laughs> and he, when I was maybe 10 or so, a new Star Trek movie came out. And so he let me, like, go through his... Um, huge box of Star Trek costumes and he and I both dressed up as Klingons and went oh, to the midnight opening. The Dura and... sisters are my favorite. <laughs> By the way, they're the best. Yeah. I also agree with you when I was younger, I liked fairy tales and I remember getting a lot of crap about that and especially mm-hmm. being a, a scientist, uh, you know, finishing grad school in the sciences, I remember I was actually pregnant, finishing my PhD, and there were also women that were just like dissing Disney and all that kind of stuff. And then once my daughter was actually born, I let her wear pink, and and they were like, "Why dare you?" Exactly. (laughs) And they were like, "You really should think about not letting her watch Disney things, and also don't let her wear pink." And I was like, "Hmm." "You know, she likes Batman too." Yeah. No, I don't think. I mean, I have two young daughters, um, two and a half year old twins myself. And, yeah, and I think there's a balance to it. You know, you don't want to yeah. say you you have to be girly, you have to be princessy. You know, you can't like robots. You can't be mm-hmm. into archaeology. Obviously, you don't want to go that route. Right. But you also don't want to say it's, you know, it's okay to be feminine. Exactly. You know, that's not a bad thing. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a balancing act you have to walk. I didn't understand that at all. I, I remember thinking, I went home and I was just like, why are they saying this to me, to my husband? And I was like, it's almost as if they're saying feminine things are bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. being a feminist means you should only like masculine. Masculine, I'm doing hand uh, finger yeah. quotes. Mm-hmm. Masculine things. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but that's why I, I kind of, I'm reading about your books and I haven't read them, but I'm reading about them and I'm like, this is really interesting because you're meshing those things. You're messing these things that we liked. You know, I like fairy tales, but I also like science and I like, mm-hmm. you know, circuits and electronics and robotics. And I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, that's <laughs> definitely, you know, what drew me to it and these two things that I loved and and as you know a girl a nerdy girl Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of times when you not so much these days but certainly when I was a teenager like you felt like you were the only nerdy girl around like it was me and my best friend and we were surrounded by boys who were into anime and you know Mm -hmm. science fiction and all this and we were the only two girls and and so yeah I mean I think it's a good thing that we're we're entering this stage in in our media and our pop culture when you're seeing more of this um, and more that right. girls girls also can do math girls right. also want to go to the moon you right. know and these things and also boys also like you know My Little Pony and boys yeah also no absolutely like, it goes you know, both ways yeah. for sure I really like that and it's funny that you said when I when you were younger you only had kind of this one other nerdy girlfriend. When I was younger, I used to get crap for watching Batman the Animated Series. I don't know if you watched that. It was so beautiful. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> again, a little too young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I've seen it, but it wasn't yeah. no, something that, that I latched onto, I don't think. Yeah, it was the nerdy thing that I get made fun of. Mm-hmm. They're like, why do you like cartoons? And I was like, because it's really well done. Oh, yeah. I was watching that, and I was watching Gargoyles. Like, it was yeah. my oh, lineup. Gargoyles, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. so I, I was in the panel, and... Like, science questions actually came up. And there are people that, um, I think Leela told me there's somebody who asked about um, certain scenes in your book about the moon. And mm-hmm. I, and, and so... Mutant powers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, do you do science... Well, I shouldn't say scientific research, but do you do research in making things as scientifically accurate as you could? Yeah, you, no, you definitely. I mean, there's there's a balancing act. Um, in this series, yeah. it's... Yeah. It's science fiction, <laughs> right. but it's a very fantastical science fiction. Okay. Um, you know, there 
uh, is a big premise within the books is that there's this society of people on the moon that over time have been, um, you know, they've genetically evolved to have powers of mind control. So on one hand, that's fantasy. That's a fantasy element. On the other hand, um, you know, I did want to give a, a scientific explanation um, that's, you know, quote unquote pseudoscience. It's it's not really going to happen that way, but right. at least it has an explanation yeah. other than just there's mind controlling witches on the moon. <laughs> um, and so for that, you know, there was there was a lot of research um, about moon colonization and space travel. And there's no atmosphere, so they get tons of radiation. Exactly, and that's that ended up being the reason for it. <laughs> the the <end>. radiation, <laughs> yeah, changed their their yeah. DNA and their genetic makeup. Yeah. Um, I'll help you out. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's definitely that element. Um, there's yeah. also. There's a plague going through, so you had you know research different plagues and viruses and, mm. and you know uh, antibodies and, and all these different elements. Um, and then you get to the technology, and there's a character right. who's a cyborg, and there's a character who's a computer hacker, and um, uh, there's spaceships and hover cars, and you know all of these things where you know in the book you may not, I as the writer may not ever have to thoroughly explain how something works, but I find that to write it authentically and to be able to use vocabulary and lingo that bring it to life for the reader, you you have to be at least somewhat familiar with that. So yeah, there's a ton of research that goes into stuff like that. Do you have somebody at a university that you talk to about that stuff, or do you just kind of delve into kind of studies and, and other yeah, things that are happening. By and large, um, for me, it was just researching, um, reading books and reading journal articles and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I did approach not a, a professor, but a master's student who, I think she must have been studying genetics mm-hmm. to talk about the, the lunars and, and how this evolution would have occurred potentially the the first book takes place in futuristic china so then i did reach out to a chinese um professor at 1.2 to get some of the language stuff right yeah and that and that's what i was going to bring up next is i was i was reading about um your first book and how basically a cinderella story is like a very old story that is also a chinese story Mm -hmm. and how you kind of also you had it back and i was just so happy when i read that because, (laughs) because being somebody a woman of color it's hard to have stories that have us in it like when I was mm-hmm. younger like it was like Snow White because she had black hair like that was, <laughs> like, for real and I was like she's probably half Asian like me I don't know right um, <laughs> clearly and, yeah so like it was it's just awesome that you had you know a story in that environment and it it's become popular that's just so heartwarming for me thank you <laughs> Welcome back to Spark Science. I'm Regina Barbara DeGraff, and you're listening to our interview with local sci-fi author Marissa Meyer. Within young adult fiction, there has been such a huge push in the last um, maybe three or four years for authors to include more diversity, for publishers to you know seek out and represent those books, and for readers too to step out of their comfort zones. Yeah. And I think you know we're starting to see it now gravitate into. 
um, more adult literature and, and you know, mid, middle grade and right. through other age groups. But really in young adult, it's really started to be embraced, you know, the importance of including characters, right. you know, whether ethnically um, or sexually or, you know, right. have come different from different family backgrounds or, you know, it really is so important for right. young people to be able to see themselves represented and to right. know that, you know, you can also be the hero. You don't have to be relegated to the quirky sidekick, you know? Or you don't have to always see the world through one kind yeah. of lens mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Absolutely. I remember talking to somebody about how when I was younger, I literally <laughs> thought that people like me, like mixed people, just didn't exist in the past. <laughs> like, we just didn't exist. Yeah, right. Because they, we weren't in the movies, we yeah. weren't in TV, we weren't in books. And so I was just like, well, I just must be this new kind of creature that just exists now. Which is completely ridiculous, right? I mean, there was trade. But I can so see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my own lineage has mixing. So how, I mean, I don't know. I really appreciate that. And I actually have a friend who's a writer in this area as well. And she tries very hard to have characters that are more diverse. And that's really, really awesome. So I wanted to ask about, you had pictures up of new books that are coming out. And there's, and are they more science-y? Like, I, I was kind of reading some of the stuff. And they almost seem like more kind of in that direction. Renegades, it's a superhero story. Okay, maybe um, that's where it Yeah, from. yeah. So it's yeah, not so sciencey. Okay. Um, much more uh, urban fantasy, I guess. I'm not okay. entirely sure what a superhero is. It's kind of its own thing, isn't yes. it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, very much taking from, you know, the, the Batman, X-Men influences. Yeah, Batman's all about engineering, though, right? That's true. And the <laughs> one of the two main characters is um, herself an inventor um, who kind of comes up with her own tools and gadgets for. Is hmm. she like an? Is she chaotic neutral? Uh, well, <laughs> she, her her path changes over the course of the story. The premise of the book um, is that there is a boy who's been raised by superheroes and a girl who's been raised by supervillains. Um, and so they have very so it's different Romeo and ideologies. Juliet. It's exactly it is Romeo <laughs> and Juliet with superpowers. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm. I want to ask you about your own maybe science interests. So you said that you were interested in the science stuff. You became a writer, but how did how did that happen? Like, did you have any science like interest or classes in in undergrad? And then you know, did this writing thing too? Was there a conflict, or were you just like writing? And then yeah, you know, got it's so up. funny. I did not think that I liked science at all. You know, I was completely uninterested in school and college. You know, it's a, that was that was the thing that other people were good at. It was not my. You know, I was an English major. I liked you know fairy tales. And it really wasn't until I was in my twenties that I began to realize all of these things that I was fascinated by. You know, whether whether it was space travel or you know. Uh, computer hacking or these things that I just thought were so cool from a distance, at some point you begin to realize that's science, you know? <laughs> Takes a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so I came to it late, sort of. I mean, I think that I'd always been interested in these different things, but didn't really make the connection that, oh, hey, science might have, like, real-life applications somewhere. <laughs> right, like a premise for a novel. Exactly, Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I've noticed this for my students, too. I think that they have these interests, but they, they're they so intimidated by what science is, what yeah. the persona of it. And then Absolutely. They, they have these, like, interests, but they can't really make that connection, like you said. And I, 
that's what I'm trying to do with the show, but mm-hmm. we'll see if that works. I think in, it's been kind of the perspective of that has been changing for younger kids as we see like at the library doing the STEM programs yeah. or yeah, the STEM ones. Absolutely. Where it's just like it starts out something like, Hey, do you want to play with bristle bots? <laughs> and it's it's fun and you're like, It's a little toothbrush robot and it's painting and then you get yeah. to talk about like, Well, how does this work? Right. And I think that's kind of uh, I don't know, science is trying to be more appealing at a younger age. Yeah, I think so. Well, there's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's studies that if you introduce that to a young person, you know, Mm -hmm. it it definitely changes their perspective very, very young. Yeah. Could you, you talked about this a little bit, like a little bit about the research process, how you go through that, because that's something I've always been curious about for authors, and I know we have so many, so many people who come in who are aspiring authors of different ages, and a lot of them will just start writing, which Mm -hmm. I just, I so admire. But a lot of the times when uh, they come back to the library, they're they're stuck on something mm-hmm. because maybe they don't know enough about a subject. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. No, in research, I mean, it kind of, it's different for each book, mm-hmm. you know, depending on obviously what you're writing about and how much you already may or may not know about it. With the Lunar Chronicles, you know, I really, research was number one for me. You know, I realized, okay, I have this idea. It's futuristic. There's lots of science. There's lots of technology. I need to educate myself. Um, And so really one of the very first things that I did once I had the premise um, was I went to the library and I picked up a whole stack of Scientific American magazines and I just spent hours going through it just to get ideas. You know, what Mm -hmm. are we working on now? What are we capable of? What do they think we're going to be capable of 50 years from now? And just getting those ideas so influenced what the world and the books turned out to be. So that, you know, research for these books was really at the forefront of the writing process. Alternatively, you know, something like Renegades, my superhero novel I'm working on, I already, you know, I've obviously been a superhero fan (laughs) for ages, so there wasn't that really that need. You know, it's so much more of it coming from my own imagination and just being influenced from different cultural things that I've, you know, known and loved my whole life. Which is not to say there's not any research um, involved. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be, you know, even writing something um, like Heartless, which takes place in, in Alice in Wonderland. You know, Wonderland is the most nonsensical <laughs> fantasy world you can imagine. I still had to research things like how do you make mock turtle soup? And had <laughs> yeah. to research, you know, the rules of playing chess. And, um, you know, what were some lawn games that they played in Victorian England? Mm-hmm. Like, there's always things that have to be researched. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it very much varies from book to book and world to world. listening to Spark Science. Right now we are interviewing Marissa Meyer about her cyborg fairy tale series, The Lunar Chronicles. I, I love what you were saying about the how to make soup. Like, <laughs> actually having to put that in a book. Do you have beta readers? Because my friend who is a writer, she had us read her book and my husband said, on a train they wouldn't be eating this kind of fish. And he's like, there's no way they could get that fish on that train because it's inland and they would have had these two kinds of fish. You can pick between these two. And she was like, oh, okay. He's like a writer's worst nightmare. That's what you're saying. (laughs) No, 
all he said the whole book and he's like just pick an eel or a trout yeah that's all that they would have had at that point Uh, no i did um one of the things so the fourth book of the lunar chronicles largely takes place on the moon and turns out that my copy editor who had been copy editing my books from the beginning had like minored in geology or something Um, and so she had like all of this knowledge about what the rocks and i had researched like i i had a basic idea of what the atmosphere and what the 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 physical you know setting would be like but i i kept referring to it i think as chalky Mm -hmm. and she was like no 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 we cannot call it chalky (laughs) i don't remember what word we ended up deciding on Mm -hmm. um but it was just like one of those random i'm glad you're in my court you know (laughs) i'm glad you have this totally instead of an angry letter random (laughs) yeah this totally random knowledge but I do. I mean, even now, I'll get occasionally get emails from someone, you know, um, in this scene, you had this fabric burn. FYI, it wouldn't burn. It would melt or whatever. Um, and you're like, no. Yeah. So there's always yeah. things like that. And I think there's there's always going to be things like that that yeah. just slip through the cracks um, the that you don't edition. even know you should be researching at yeah. times. You know, you don't even know that you're ignorant about, about certain something. But yeah, you you do your best. You know, as a writer, you do your best and hope that even if there are those those little errors that creep in, that people will see past it for the story is ultimately what you're you're trying to do is write a good story. Yeah. Um, I was also going to ask why the decision was to set Cinder to start with in in China. Mm-hmm. Like, I- no, the choice was uh, because the story of Cinderella. Well. They used to think that it originated in China. Mm-hmm. These days, they actually think it goes back to e- ancient Egypt. As far as we know, the first recorded version of the Cinderella story is from 9th century China. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that in college, I think. I you know, picked up that one little random piece of information and thought it was fascinating. Because, of course, what do we think of when we think Cinderella? We think either Disney or the Grimm brothers mm-hmm. or Charles Perrault. And then to hear that 800 years before them mm-hmm. was this Cinderella story, um, which is called Ye Shen. And if you read the story of Ye Shen, it is absolutely no doubt the story of Cinderella. And so anyways, I just always thought that was really fascinating. And so then when I was kind of coming up with my own world um, for Cinder, it just felt like a really natural way to kind of pay homage to the story's history. So what genre then do you want to really focus on or or just kind of like experience next so you have kind of this sci-fi fantasy and then now superhero is there something that you've always like wanted to kind of jump into or just kind of try a little bit yeah you know there's lots of genres that i i mean i love reading i read really across the board so there's lots of things that i have ideas for that i'd like to attempt at some point um i have an idea for a, a kind of supernatural horror book that I'm really excited for. Um, I love contemporary romances. I'd love to write one of those at some point. I, I love, um, well, I was thinking about Jane Austen, and I, I'm i not a big reader. You're going to hate me, Bonnie. Oh, no. But, but mm. I watched everything of Jane Austen, and I, um, I looked, I found out that she died of listeria. And we were talking about, like, this kind of fight in the Northwest of be- between, like, parents and pasteurized milk and not pasteurized milk. And, you know, pasteurized milk so we don't have listeria, basically. And and I was talking to my husband, and he, I go, you know, if we had pasteurized our milk, Jane Austen would be alive today. <laughs> <laughs> I think and, that would be a really good coup for pasteurized milk. <laughs> and, then, and then my husband goes, no, this she wouldn't. This is the guy who talked about, like, 
fish. So I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> That's good. What, That's contemporary good romance. And yeah. I was just like, she'd be alive today. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. No, she wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think about writing for different age groups? Yeah, I'm dying to write a picture book, having picture book aged children, mm-hmm. um, which I need to get on that before they're no longer picture right. book aged children. You're going to be 15, it comes out, and you're like, this was for you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you really inspired this in me. Yeah. Uh, a teenager who doesn't want to see me anymore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's how you bring them back. That's you know? right. You can go on these book tours, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would love, love to write a picture book. Middle grade is something that I think about occasionally, um, mm-hmm. and I've been approached by publishers before to, to consider writing middle grade. So much of my my inspiration for writing my books often revolves around the romantic element. Yeah. Um, and It'd be middle fun. grade, like you can have a crush in middle grade. It's not like there's no romance potential, but it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. So I think that I, I would struggle with that a little bit. But who knows? You know, you never know. Well, I mean, I, I want to respect your time, so I think you need to get going. But I wanted to ask you, is there anything you'd like to share to our listeners about kind of science fiction and, you know, kind of sticking with their writing or, I don't know, ins- you don't have to be inspirational. <laughs> Any, anything else you would like to say about science fiction or your genre, maybe? No, I mean, if there's any aspiring writers um, specifically, I think it is so important to write the thing that you are called to write and write the thing that you love. Um, and the the story that I give from you know, my background, when I first had the idea for the Lunar Chronicles and I first started writing it and I was so excited because it just, you know, was bringing together all of these things that I was so passionate about. At that time, in young adult publishing, everyone said you cannot sell science fiction books to teenagers. Mm. They won't buy them. Um, And so I went through two years of my life working on this book thinking, you know, with these voices in my head hanging over me, thinking I'm probably wasting all of this time writing this book that no one's ever going to read. Because, again, they just said science fiction for teenagers. It's, it's just not happening. It's not popular. It won't sell. And then during that time, The Hunger Games came out. Right. And hmm. suddenly, mm-hmm. wow, look at that. Teenagers will read science fiction. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, if I had listened to all those voices, then who knows what would have happened and what I would have, you know, moved on to instead. But I, I loved the story and I loved the premise so much that I had to stick with it. And I think that's really important for aspiring writers you know, to, to recognize that if you love it and if you can stick with it, then you just have to hope that it will find that readership that are like you, that love it too. Right. Write what you would want to read. Yeah, that isn't, no, definitely. That isn't out there. Mm-hmm. But I want to thank you for talking to me. Well, thank and, you. Thanks and, for having me. And thank you for coming to this, this con <laughs> and helping my friend out, Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> it's been wonderful. And hopefully you didn't have to drive too far. <laughs> no, not far at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.
for listening to Spark Science. This episode was recorded on location at the Puyallup Public Library during PuliCon 2017. Special thanks to co-host and organizer of PuliCon, Bonnie Svitovsky, and also co-organizer, Leela Jacobs. If you missed any of the show, go to our website, sparksciencenow.com, or kmre.org and click on the podcast link. We air weekly on 102.3 FM in Bellingham or kmre.org streaming on Sundays at 5 p.m., Thursdays at noon, and Saturdays at 3 p.m. If there's a science idea you're curious about, send us an email or post a message on our Facebook page, Spark Science. Our producer is Regina Barber de Graff. The engineer for today's show is Natalie Moore. Our theme music is Chemical Calisthenics by Black Alicious and Wonderland by Janelle Monet. Lead, gold, tin, iron, platinum, zinc. When I wrap your thing, iodine, nitrate, activate. Right, uranium, the only difference is I transmit sound. Balance with some balance, then you add a little talent in. Careful, careful with those ingredients. They can explode and blow up if you drop them and they hit the ground.